Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Mutuality Matters podcast from Christians for Biblical Equality. Alongside my friend and ministry colleague, Lila Van Gerpen, I am Rob Dixon. Can women and men work alongside one another in healthy ministry partnerships? Our answer is, for sure. And on this podcast, we interview practitioners, exploring stories about what flourishing mixed-gender ministry partnerships look like in the field. This week, our guests are Drs. Quentin and Cindy Kinnison. Quentin serves at Fresno Pacific University as the Associate Professor of Christian Ministry and Christian Ministry Program Director. Cindy also works at Fresno Pacific University, where she is the Internship Supervisor for Christian Ministry. Kinnison's, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's good to have you. Yeah, good to have you. We like to start with a fun question around here to just get to know you better. So here it is. What is a mixed gender partnership that you appreciate from like literature, movies, and why do you appreciate it? Well, we, we have a 14-year-old who loves Legos. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we nice. have uh, been, uh, I'd say, inundated with the Lego movies. <laughs> um, and I think that Emmett and Lucy is probably the, for our first go-to kind of, of thought. So what's their relationship <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that's that's part of it, right? So this idea that um, she thinks she she's out trying to do her part to mm-hmm. save the world. He's mm-hmm. just kind of happy-go-lucky, and all of a sudden he realizes he has his part too. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, she becomes his mentor, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and and okay. then there's that scene. I think it's in Lego too, where you're saving me, saving you, saving mm-hmm. us, right? Or saving <laughs> each other. And there's this kind of beautiful back and forth between the two of them, where you realize that they're learning and growing from one another. It's really Aww. really great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like awesome. That. I need. I, I don't. I think my kids are past that. We need to go back and watch those. I, I think we missed that yeah. they were, when they were young. We weren't watching the Lego movie, yeah. so we need to go back and take care of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like it's in my future because I've got a five-year-old. So we're oh, yeah. five oh, and yeah. three. So <laughs> we, they're coming. We have, we have a, a a couple as well that have been. Um, I would say I don't know if literature if this counts, but. One that's been influential in our lives since seminary days, and that is um, Drs. Diana and David Garland. Um, Diana has since passed, but um, they were at Southern Seminary at the same time, and she led the social work department, and he was um, our New Testament professor Okay, and ended up at Baylor, hmm. where she actually... Um, started she went in with just the bsw program but then it started that she started the msw program phd wow. he then became dean of truett they've done a lot of work together written some books and so we actually had mm-hmm. i think some a great model with the garlands that really um kind of showed us that you can work together mm-hmm. and even during times where it's challenging that you still come out together and god is still at work not just individually, but together too. So they were a great example, I think. These have some really fun banter. I'm I'm sad she's not still with us, because I think Mm -hmm. it would be fun to hear them (laughs) today. 
And he's been he's been interim president of Baylor twice, but she has a building named after her. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to pick one. Right. <laughs> yeah, wow. So. Yeah. wow. That's great. Yeah. we. Are, I, I, thanks for sharing that. It's a great way to start the podcast because it's a good reminder that we do stand on the shoulders of folks right. who have modeled for us what this stuff looks like. So let me ask you to say a bit more about what you do, um, mm-hmm. where you serve, and what your ministry partnership looks like, um, both as individuals and as a married couple. Sure. So um, I, I teach at Fresno Pacific, and I teach in the area of Christian ministry and leadership, uh, helping to train undergraduates, prepare them for the life and mission of the church and or nonprofit organizations where they go and serve uh, for kingdom purposes. Mm-hmm. And so um, I helped create the program, shape the program. I teach courses within the program. I, I hire adjuncts, I, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but a lot of it is centered around this idea of how uh, we prepare students for the life of the church and helping to prepare them for how they'll serve. And one of the realities that we have at Fresno Pacific is that um, you know, we have a student population who's uh, 66% female. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's typical amongst Christian mm-hmm. higher ed. Uh, and we have a population at Fresno Pacific that's about 50, 55% Hispanic, Latino, Latina. Um, and so as a result of that, you know, we have a lot of really interesting opportunities to think about what does it mean to think across uh, race and ethnic, ethnic lines, but also what does it mean to think about gender and gender equity within the church and that kind of place. Mm-hmm. So my, my role really is around centered around both uh, program direction and then also helping train the, the students in the classroom. And one of the most important things that I do is I get to bring adjuncts along to help us to think that way as well, which is why Cindy was so important in this work. Mm-hmm. Right. And so just my training um, and then my past teaching experience kind of brought me to this moment that even though um, we actually had just um, adopted a little girl from China, and so we knew primarily that my role would be in the home bonding with her, but then how could I also stay attached to the academics and ministry? And so when he asked if I would um, facilitate the internship part, um, that just was a natural fit at this Mm -hmm. moment um, in this season. And so working together with um, Quentin um, as we share students, right, in in classes Mm -hmm. and such, and And, you know, at the same time, even going beyond the internship course that we teach, we're, because we're both on campus so often, um, being able to just be around students who need, you know, that that model of a couple Mm -hmm. sometimes can be very important. Mm -hmm. Um, But really my role is internship, making sure students have internships when they run into trouble with internships, Um, you know, redirecting or you know, moving them to a different place. Also, supervision is very important to the role. So making sure that they have good quality supervision um, for their growth. And so that's, um, that's I think, mainly my part. Mm-hmm. It, it was really important. Um, so we, Cindy had experience from working with Golden Gate and other places prior to coming to Fresno Pacific. She was a, at, she's a professor uh, in sociology at um, Biola. Uh, so she, she, she put me through my PhD. So, I mean, yeah. Um, and then she's got her doctorate in ministry uh, in the area of community ministries. And then she did work at the church in supervision around this kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it was a natural fit. But the other thing that I would say is, you know, I, I am kind of the outgoing, gregarious, you know, life of the party kind of person, right? 
And Cindy's much more of the introverted, kind of sit with you for two hours and hear your life story. And so together, I think that really creates this beautiful kind of synergy because mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be the one who kind of helps draw students into the conversation, get them part of it. You know, I'll plan the thing to have students over to the house. But Cindy will sit in the corner for five, ten minutes with that same set of students, and she'll have their life stories <laughs> and all the things that went on with that. Yeah. And so now she's coming back and said, did you know? I'm like, no, I had no idea. I've been a student for five years. I didn't know that was going on in their life. She goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> then she said, did you know? I said, no. How did you learn that? Well, I was at the gym this morning with so-and-so, and they told me, you know. And so that, that, that ability to kind of connect our giftedness is really important yeah. in this process. Beautiful. Yeah. I love um, how you painted as a strength because I think we talk about, you know, we hear in our culture like opposites and all that kind of stuff. And just seeing the ways that each of your perspectives are an asset to each other. It's really cool. Well, Um, part of it, too, is it helps. We stay in contact with students who have left so many years ago, ago. but they keep reaching out. Right. And then if they don't get a hold of him, they write me. Right. Say, hey, can we... He hasn't responded. Do you think we can get together for coffee? And so, you know, I'm like, hey, we need to meet this person. So, you know, but part of it, that is staying attached to them after they Mm -hmm. exit, too. Um, So that's, I think, important. That's great. All right. I would love to have you both unpack your journey uh, around developing a conviction for women and men in mutual and equal ministry partnership. So... What's got you here, you know, where you are at today, and what are some of the helpful or painful points that got you here? Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually grew up in a very, um, uh, not a woman-friendly denomination in church, but when I was, um, when we were at seminary, and actually a little bit before that, I started kind of wondering what is it that God is having me do? And so I was actually in the middle of a, or at the end of an associate's degree in paralegal, thinking that that's what I was going to do. When all of a sudden a lawyer professor who was not a Christian just happens to ask, what would you do if you had all the time in the world? And if you could dream and Hmm. write down what you would do? Well, school was very challenging for me, but um, I wrote down two things. One, I would help people. And two, I just thought it'd, kind of be big, dream big to gain a doctorate, right? Which I knew, you know, I was like, okay. Um, But out of that, then I went home and I told Quentin about it. And I thought, I think I'm in the wrong, I'm doing the wrong thing, (laughs) which led then to a whole exploration of, of the MSW that took us to Southern Seminary, where I had a theological foundation for helping Mm-hmm. And um, Diana Garland and C.M. Davis and others really, and Dr. Sure. David Garland, really put a theological foundation for why it is that we help others, right? And so the Matthew 25, but other passages as well, mm-hmm. Amos and mm-hmm. And so that really um, put me on this path of searching because, again, this was all foreign to me. So I think at that moment, especially there at the school, it really became, began to formulate of, you know, where is my place? Mm-hmm. Um, because in my denomination, women aren't, aren't working in the church. Mm-hmm. And yet when we left and when I graduated, um, 
I really, especially with what happened at our school, um, we didn't get the accreditation, so our school social work was actually closed down. It was accredited. Wow. And so, as Diana Garland said, we were seeds to be scattered. Mm. That's in us back to Phoenix, and I'm graduating, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, maybe I just need to work at a school. And we had a pastor approach us at a, a son's basketball game and said, hey, I heard you're graduating. Would you come? You know, be, uh, we, we need somebody to work with our community um, within the church. Mm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, again, all this is new. But then also then at that point, um, the doctorate of ministry just opened. The dean said, hey, we need students. Would you be interested? And that further developed, again, my call, my sense of call, understanding what that meant. Again, this is all still very foreign, and yet it's, it's begun. And then by the time we got into the academic part of it, which mm-hmm. was something I never thought I would ever do, um, you know, again, God is challenging, God is developing. And so I've learned along this whole journey that um, I am a work in progress, Right. And anything, anything that I sense on my heart, God can open the door if that really is. Um, And the fact that we've been able to kind of grow together, Mm -hmm. even though when I was earning the D-men, he was, you know, he was just beginning to think about doctoral work. And so, but we've been able to complement each other Mm -hmm. and then push each other even a Mm -hmm. little bit, too. Um, kind of to be where we're at today. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So similarly, um, you know, I grew up in a, a very conservative denomination. Um, I think I can say Southern Baptist on the podcast, right? <laughs> sure. Um, and which is different than the denomination she grew up in. So just, okay. just we're coming from mm-hmm. two different places. Right. <clears throat> that had its own tension, and we'll get to that. Um, it's a different podcast. Um, but the, um, but you know, Grandpa Southern Baptist. There, I grew up in a season where Southern Baptists were really beginning to ask questions about some of these things. And in mm-hmm. fact, I, I feel like in many ways, I grew up uh, in Arizona in Southern Baptist Arizona churches uh, in a much more moderate kind of environment than the kind of ultra conservative you see today. Um, so by the time we get to Southern Seminary, we're already asking some questions about you know gender roles and what does that mean and how does this play out. And then we have these these example, exemplars in front of us like mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, Diana and David Garland and, and their lives and how they live. And then you know people like Glenn Stassen, um, who is a you know, key in peacemaking and thinking about you know things mm-hmm. from a different perspective, um, biblical interpretation, how you think about things like you know mm-hmm. the role of women and what's happening in Acts chapter two and. And that kind of stuff. And so I think that began to open some opportunities for us to see things differently. And so then coming back to Arizona, finishing up in Div at Golden Gate, and Cindy started at the church. And I think for me, in many ways, a real eye-opening moment was coming on to staff to work alongside Cindy mm-hmm. um, and recognizing that because I was a male, I was given a different title, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she was a she was a director. Later became a minister. I was always kind of a pastor or a, a minister, mm-hmm. um, and that um, almost instantaneously from the moment that I became I came on staff, she went from being a pastor, a part of the pastoral staff, to being a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. Even though she'd been there a year before me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We ended up at uh, Fuller, which is where I pursued my PhD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, Fuller has a very much more egalitarian perspective and very open model. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful as well. Kind of, I think I think much of what had begun to stir in us and certainly in me 
in earlier years, Fuller helped to kind of just let flourish. Um, and yeah. so from there, then coming to work at Fresno Pacific. For, in fairness, we've, we've now are part of the American Baptist side of the family, mm-hmm. uh, and mainly over two issues. One is race, the other one is gender. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we feel like theologically they're pretty close to where we were in Baptist life, but they, they've taken a different perspective on those particular ideas as theological. Mm-hmm. But being a, 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 a denom- in a denominational school and training mostly women for the role of the church, I mean, there's additional places where I'm having to ask questions and have, have really mm-hmm. honest, hard questions, hard conversations with students about, you know, here's what you need to know is the reality. And mm-hmm. it doesn't change the fact that if God's called you, we're going to do everything we can to prepare you and, and equip you. And there's real beauty in seeing these moments where these women pastors are just flourishing and they're, and they're yeah. doing amazing work. And there's real tragedy in seeing these other moments where they're not because they run into denominational structures or other kinds of church structures that just squash them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's kind of this constant uh, push-pull between our own personal experiences but also the experience of these students who we care deeply about and, and what they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, a lot of those have been solidified uh, in that process. And then I know, I know we'll probably talk about this more later, but then also looking at that then in the context of as a colleague working with other professionals in the academia mm-hmm. um, who are immensely gifted, but maybe not recognized because of their gender mm-hmm. um, it, it becomes a part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, I appreciate, I mean, I think what you're, the picture you're painting is of a journey of a, of a road. And yeah. I, I even uh, Cindy and what you were talking about, like somebody asked you to dream, and then somebody right. said, hey, why don't you work here? And then, right. you know, just the way that, that right. God has orchestrated that journey is really powerful right. to hear. Um, Quentin, you started to take us there, but I want to I ask a question about, as you think about women and men working together on equal footing in your context, whether it's at FPU or other contexts you work in, um, what are the roadblocks? I think you mentioned some structural roadblocks that people experience, but if you could just sort of identify what are the things that hold us back? from embracing this value of women and men working together? Yeah, um, this, this is the part of the podcast where I get myself in trouble. I think, I think we read scripture really badly at mm-hmm. times. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, CBE has been really helpful in, in my own journey about opening and understanding to text mm-hmm. and, and difficulties in complex text. But mm-hmm. we talk about a simple reading of the text, and yet the text is never simple because we're living 2,000 years away from most of the text, uh, at least, sometimes much longer, uh, we're living in multi- radically different cultures and contexts. We're living in a different language context. Uh, everything about that is not simple. There, there's a lot of complexity to that. And so when we get into how we read the text, if we don't read it with care and we don't read it with humility and we don't read it with kind of a community of learners that are helping us to see the text from various angles, we end up, I think, coming away with texts that um, satisfy our own convictions. Mm-hmm. How are those have been socially constructed? Um, and, you know, we, I think we're fooling ourselves if we don't recognize that churches, part of, part of the work, work churches do is they socialize people into certain understandings of things. Mm-hmm. That can be really good mm-hmm. and that can be really bad. Mm-hmm. So if we don't hold with humility kind of these convictions that we have that come from a simple reading of the text, we are oftentimes uh, oversimplifying work that's done. And, you know, being Pentecost Sunday when we're recording this, right, I mean, this is a, a particular opportunity to stop and recognize that something is happening that the prophet Joel predicts that the people of God experience in Acts chapter 2 and then the church begins to live into, right, where the Spirit of God is put out on all flesh 
and men and women are prophesying, and all of God's people are doing this work. Um, so, you know, again, recognizing how that that tells a larger story from our socialized ways into it. I think that's one of the roadblocks. Mm-hmm. We just we, we accept these overly simplified views and readings. I think the other thing too is that, um, yeah, po- power is addictive. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is addictive. Yes. Um, and you know, um, there is a constant struggle any of us have anytime we have a little bit of power and somebody threatens that, um, you know, I, I've had opportunity to, to pursue, um, a couple of different opportunities for, for kind of administrative positions. And on a couple of occasions I've said, if you can find somebody who is a, um, a person of color or a, a, a female that you can hire for this position, should hire them instead of me. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do because I want that position. I wouldn't have applied if I didn't, right? But there is something that's important about recognizing that as a white male, right, um, mm-hmm. I have privilege that if I don't betray that privilege, I will always have and others like me will have. Mm-hmm. And so at some point it requires a betrayal of that privilege, that power to say, okay, this isn't for me. But, but it is addictive because that means giving up control. That means giving up opportunity. That means giving up... Um, spaces of of influence that you might want to have. And I think that's really difficult as well. Well, I think that this is where Clinton models it well, though. And again, it means sacrificing on his part. Um, but because of the idea of the community of believers and, and sh- or community mm-hmm. of learners, um, shared governments, governance and all of that, that FPU holds, um, he will be the first, you know, as chair to make sure that female colleagues get what they need before um, he does even. Whether, and that, whether that's merit or some other form of, um, you know, accomplishment or, or whatever. The other part of that, though, <laughs> is making sure that female colleagues have a opportunity to serve as chair as well. Or other positions that need to um, be filled by by women as well, and so you know, in July, um, Dr. Melly Howard will become the chair of the department, and that is something that the department holds, giving you know back and forth, female, male, just um, faculty in general. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it, it affirms that shared power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is male-female as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we hope that that is something that, you know, again, when you model it, you have to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it affirms, and, and I can't tell you how um, um, affirmed female faculty in particular will feel when, when the door is open for them mm-hmm. yeah. to succeed in a way that might not have been um, otherwise. So, It's clear that you hold this conviction and you own it. And it's not just your sense or you're not just a good person. You might be, but, but this conviction helps you yes. offer a lens to mm-hmm. which you see the power dynamics that are invisible. You see the, um, the barriers and systemic structures that limit access to women and even women of color. And so, because you Mm -hmm. see that it affects your choices and it affects how you, um, 
the opportunities you pass up or you offer to others. So I, I just really appreciate you naming some of the unnamed things um, that impact your conviction. I really love that. Mm-hmm. And there's benefits to it. There's benefits experience. So you've started to name some of those benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other, um, how do you see your partnership and the partnerships you have with each other, with others, bless these institutions and communities you're a part of? So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that has been uh, very real for me, um, so one of the people I consider, consider a mentor-type person mm-hmm. in my life is Dina Gonzalez-Pena, mm-hmm. um, who, um, you know, again, I was coming out of a PhD where I'd done significant work around race and ethnicity, and we had these, these gender conversations and everything else. But sitting at a table with a person like Dina who, who um has lived experience and pursuing justice along his ways um, helps me to, to find better ways of seeing and understanding and of learning and of then participating and actively engaging in these systems. So I, I personally benefit from having mentors who are women and persons of color that, that, that help me to think differently and catch a bigger view of God's kingdom and God's values, right? I mean, the, the reality is I, I'm not being shown anything other than what, what's at the heart of God, what God's heart is. Um, and I think that there is something beautiful about that that helps me to know God better, to understand God's love more, more profoundly, um, and then to participate in that, um, you know, what, what Thurman and King and others have talked about, you know, the beloved community, right? Um, it's more than just inclusion. It's about belonging. How do we belong together? Um, and so there's something in that that is, is formative and shaping having people like that in my life. And then vice versa, I think there is a way in which, you know, for instance, I've talked about it with Cindy, you know, um, our students benefit from having a uh, couple right. <laughs> um, who um, are partners in ministry who um, have very different skills, very different kind of, of, mm-hmm. of abilities um, and different ways of approaching life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the, like I said, if the gregarious kind of out there laughing, fun, have fun, but I, you know, I'm also the, the kind of organizer planner and that, that kind of thing. Cindy, um, although she has great skills in planning and organizing, she's the person who's going to sit and sit with you for 20, 30, 40 minutes and just really care for you in a way that is mm-hmm. profound and deep. And together they get a whole experience out of that, hmm. right? They, they get a, I'll help them think carefully through theological ramifications of their thoughts and processes, right? I'll, I'll, I'll work with them on theological orientations and that's really my area of giftedness and skill. And Cindy will help them think through personal issues of calling and growth and how they're developing as human beings, what that means to relationships with family and, and self and health and you know, their own well-being. And together they have a holistic experience as students Right. So our students have a better experience out of that. Um, and I would say that that's true, you know, in other places as well. Um, you know, working with other colleagues on campus and the way in which we engage with one another. You know, there's there's something you get that's that's bigger when, you know, Melly or Laura's voices are heard. Right. Or Amy's voices heard, because now these scholars are shaping the views of students with different perspectives than I have. And that gives them a broader view of the world and of God's action and activity in it. Well, and then to know that they're being um, honored by Quentin and others in the department, right? And so it's not just a, oh, we hired a female, right? Check. Yeah. Um, it really is with yeah. the heart. And because of that, we are going to elevate, um, you know, them 
at a level that, you know, that we would also want to be, you know, again, that partnership. But because women have um, been fighting to get to this point um, in academics, in the church, you know, in in many arenas, um, I do think it is um, just a, a, I think, an importance um, that women, the female um, faculty on campus, are really honored in a way, mm-hmm. um, even beyond um, just so that they're seen as the- mm-hmm. theologians um, or whatever field that they're in, that they are the experts in that field mm-hmm. um, instead of just someone that was just hired because we need to hire to make quota. Yeah. Well, and, um, and one of the things that, again, from, from watching here, so I'm outsider watching Cindy's experience yeah. where she was a woman and so as a result was not treated with the same respect as a man is, means that when, when I come into a room and one of my colleagues is with a student, they are Dr. Roberts or Dr. Howard, yeah. right? Because I want to make sure the student recognizes that this is a person who has the same respectability and anything else. Mm-hmm. I can betray my own power, you know, call me Quentin, not Dr. Kennison. I can do that. But in their context, that's not my job to do. That's their job to do if mm-hmm. they choose to. Mm-hmm. But my job is to honor and make sure that we understand and recognize this is Dr. Howe. This is Dr. Mm-hmm. Wisdom Paul. This is Dr. And so as a result, students begin to recognize, okay, this is a person who has the same standing, an equal standing as the rest of the, the professors here. That's awesome. I, I think listeners, I, if, if I'm a listener listening to this, I'm thinking, I want to be on campus where the Kinnisons are because, <laughs> well, and it's what's striking me actually. We've is got that, a program for you. <laughs> sorry, that's right. That's right. Um, what's striking me as you're sharing is you started with the story of um, the Garlands, right? That sort of mentored yes. you yeah. and yeah. and it's kind of come full circle. I mean, I feel like you yeah. are operating in that way for right. so many yeah. students on campus. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. We have students over to the house often. Um, Quentin has officiated quite a few um, <laughs> wedding ceremonies just because students are like, oh, this is a married couple. And, you know, not all students have yeah. a marriage um, model to them in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Well, when, when and if we can model that, even disagreements or, you know, just having fun, mm-hmm. then um, it is it is something that, that we take seriously, yeah. right? That, that, that's, that's just as, as important as the academic side, right? Is the relational side mm-hmm. as a couple to model mm-hmm. um, that. One, one of the things, you know, she mentioned the weddings. One of the things that's really important is I like for the couple to kind of help shape their own wedding, right? So, uh, not every pastoral person does that. They want to do their thing. But that means they come to the house, the couple comes to the house, and we meet with them four, five, six times throughout the course of the months leading up to it. And we meet with them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and then we, we, we've got a book that we've given to him from the Balswicks, Jack oh, and Judy right. Balswicks book marriage. on marriage. Right. So it's a way, again, thinking about mutuality in marriage. Right. We talk about the language that they use, right? right? Mm-hmm. And how that language that conveys something. What do you want it to convey? Um, but it's a work that we're doing in that process. Now, again, I'm the I'm the I'm the show person. I'm the gregarious one. So I'm going to be the one on stage because she doesn't she doesn't want to do that. Anyway. <laughs> but but she has shaped every part of that ceremony yeah. through her own involvement in the planning process. Mm-hmm. And then you know, oftentimes it's after the wedding that they're reaching out, and she's the mm-hmm. one to make that initial contact. You know, it's a beautiful ceremony. We're thinking of you. And have a great honeymoon. Mm-hmm. We'll see when we get back. 
so there's this again this partnership that's even mm-hmm. part of all that yeah it's great it's great let me let me ask you one um kind of one more like big picture question mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, this this podcast is about women and men working together and we want to discover ways to do that more effectively in ministry What's your heart? So I'll ask the dream question, I guess, Cindy, that you were mentioning earlier. What's your dream for the church? What's your dream for academia around this topic of women and men working together? Like, leave us with some uh, some vision, cast some vision for us. This is going to sound really simplistic on my part, but this is just something that we've, because of our experience um, in many places, um, I think if we could just love and care for one another, we could actually um, hear the hearts and maybe we would have more um, honor for one another, which includes listening. Um, But I think so often we're we're not loving and caring well. And as a result, we're not willing to, um, say, sacrifice or to hear what's on somebody's heart. Uh, maybe it's a, a female who feels called, right, to the church or to, you know, some other aspect of ministry. Um, and so are we willing to love and care in a way that is 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 nurturing is supportive um that isn't about power Mm -hmm. um and i think if we could do that i think that one churches academic all of that benefits right because Mm -hmm. now there's a mutuality that is is it hard? Yes. Men and women, you know, we communicate different, but that's all relationships, right? Again, if we love and care well, then we're, we're seeking out the best for one another and what that, all that means. Um, so Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's a, it's a really, I mean, in some ways, yeah, in some ways it's a really, um, simplistic answer, but I think it's so, um, difficult how to how to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That that we wouldn't need to have these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> that it would just be a natural kind of inclination that you know people who are called and qualified mm-hmm. are recognized as such, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we aren't making a big deal about the first woman president at a Christian university or the first woman, right? Um, right now we're looking at. Um, We'll have a biblical and religious studies division at the university that for the first time ever in the 75, 6, 7, 8 years of this institution's life will now be more female than male. And that's kind of a big deal. But why? It's been a male-oriented for 70, you know, eight, seven years earlier. It wasn't a big deal then. Why does this have to be? So I want, I want to get to the point where, where we're, we're really just living into that kind of beloved community where we don't have to, we, we just are doing what's Right. And I guess maybe that's, that's where I come down. I, I, I want the church, <laughs> and by extension, you know, Christian colleges, universities, institutions in general, to just live up to their ideals. Mm-hmm. To, to live into you know, recognizing the Spirit's work in the lives of people and trusting God to call and to empowering and equipping and then um, supporting and encouraging and prayerfully you know, 
walking with people because that's what we're supposed to do rather than, you know, spending so much time on gatekeeper issues that are really more sociologically driven and, you know, culturally driven than they are other things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always simpl- overly simplistic on some level. Right. And yet, you know, it's like, man, that's massive. How do you get mm-hmm. there? Right. Yeah, right. It seems like yep. so many things are broken. So. Well, it's just the, it's the foundation of it though. Right. Yeah. And, we, and we, um, for whatever reason, we're not able to get the foundation. Right. Yeah. And I think as long as we're not able to get the foundation, right. I'm not sure how it looks. Yeah. Um, but that foundation is, you know, such a, such a huge piece. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a beautiful picture to paint. I love the simplistic like call of where to start. And then as we're living into that, you know, that the need for things like this would everything, it would all just be the norm, you right. know, and I love that. So, well, this has been fantastic. If people wanted to connect with you two, how, what's the best way? Like, are you on social media? Where can they find you? So, so it might be easiest to get a hold of me through through FPU, Fresno State okay. University, email and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I am on Facebook. I do have a Twitter. I have an Instagram, but we have a uh, CML, um, um, we have a, yeah, we have a Christian Ministry Leadership uh, page on Facebook. Oh, cool. Um, so there's a couple places there, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, she she refuses to do all that. She she just uses mine. <laughs> oh nice! I don't use it. Yeah, Quinn it's Quinn, you're a good. Story. Don't sell yourself short. You're a good follow on Twitter, Quinn. Oh, you're, you're kind. You're kind. Yeah, I have yeah. my moments. Well, well uh, listen. Thanks so much for being a part of this. And should oh, I say, go Sunbirds? Would that be the the mascot yes. of FPU? Yes. Go Sunbirds. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Thank good. you. Well, I, that was a great interview with the Kinnisons. I think they had a lot of uh, wisdom for us. What's what's stuck with you? What's uh, what'd you hear? I loved hearing their journey of how they got to where they're at today, and I observe, like I just noticed how they both were raised in these environments that did not affirm women in mm-hmm. ministry or women in leadership. They probably didn't see it modeled, um, and yet it was their lived experience that challenged their theology. Mm. And so as Cindy was um, either experiencing the negative environment of that, or they were just seeing her flourish in ministry and asking the question like, yeah, why not these experiences? And then what just Quentin talked about, why am, why do I get the label pastor, but she doesn't, Mm. we're both doing ministry Mm. and then being able to be at a place at Fuller where they could actually re-examine their theology and, um, and I loved his whole thing on, uh, the, the, the text not being a simple read yeah. and really honoring yep. the text. So I just, yeah, I really loved how they impact that yeah. and just the ways that their experiences challenge their, um, upbringing. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Yeah. One, one of the things for me that struck me was Quentin's, uh, stuff on power. So he oh, yeah. talked about power being addictive, mm-hmm. um, I think he used the phrase uh, betray privilege uh, as he thinks about his own kind of what you're just saying, like the privilege he gets. And I, I just, um, I don't know. I just love that model. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes we have this sort of idea that if we give up power, it's a negative Quinn's experience would say opposite. I think that giving up power is an additive thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's life giving. Um, it's yes. enriched his experience, you know, and it's, and it's been a blessing yeah. to the community. So 
I um yeah, I need that. I need to hear that. I think we all need to hear that sort of this yeah. idea that power is something that we need to be cautious about, but it's an opportunity also in Quentin's case to give power away and and yeah. that's a joyful thing. So that was a good word I think as well. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please follow Christians for Biblical Equality on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date info and content. You can leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you love this episode, please do share it with a friend. Others would benefit from the Kinnison's wisdom, I'm sure. I'm Rob Dixon with my co-host, Lila Van Gerpen. We would love to thank our guests, Dr. Quinton and Dr. Cindy Kinnison, and our talented editor, Landon Hook, as well as Christians for Biblical Equality. Be sure to listen to other episodes with our team of co-hosts coming to your devices every week. We are the Mutuality Matters Podcast, and thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.